Well, we're all recording, mate. So nice. I look forward to how seeing I am not good at intros. So that's an interesting proposition you've set for me. Is that your intro then? I'm not good at it intros. It might be. Welcome, Lakeside Drive listeners. I'm not good at intros, so we're not going to do one. James, good to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on my own show. <laughs> so you've grilled Campy and I ruthlessly. Um, and Freya. And Freya, mm. yes. Uh, time to flip it and you're now to be grilled. Can we chat? Hard! <laughs> yes. Considering the studio that, that is recorded and I think is just below this window. Oh, really? I think Hard Chat is, uh, or Hard Quiz, sorry, I think is recorded yeah. at ABC Melbourne. Yeah. Right there. Hi, Tom. Right over there. Let's chat hard. Um, I think you're very good at asking questions a lot of the time, but I think people probably want to know a bit more about the Jame, the one and only Jame Baldwin. <laughs> I doubt it. But okay. The one and only Jame Baldwin. Jame Baldwin. My first question was, why did you decide to start a podcast? And I suppose phrasing that better would be, what was the gap in the market or opportunity you saw for a podcast to be started? Well, thanks so much for asking me such a wonderful question. <laughs> do what I do. I learn from the best. Uh, not me. Um, yeah, I think when – so I did – I fell out of love with Formula One um, probably a year or two into Daniel being in Red Bull. Yep. So 14, 15. So I wasn't interested in the Mercedes battle that happened in 16. I think I watched a little bit of that with when Rosberg won. Yep. And uh, who's also able to now go to Formula One races now that there's no vaccination certificate presenting required. Awesome. Good for him. Make sure he has his badge on so people know who he is. <laughs> there is. Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I could go for hours. So there, that was sort of boring to me. And yep. I did this, I had this opportunity to be in a Heineken commercial in 2018. Maybe it was 2017. I can't remember. It was one of those years. Maybe it was 17. It's all blur. And uh, I think it was 17. It was, it was all a blur. But I ended up um, and got paid for this too, which was excellent. But I ended up hanging out with DC, Max Verstappen, and around the Red Bull garage yep. um, being filmed basically for this Heineken commercial. Um, could absolutely roasted online for it. As you should. Absolutely roasted. Like the Australian way. The worst acting I've ever seen, everything else, which was fine. Uh, I will say the script was absolutely shithouse. Uh, <laughs> Not and, working with much. And I improed a lot and got DC laughing a lot. And then, of course, they didn't show any of that. No. Because I mean, it it's part script. of the course. All the Heineken ads are like stale Horrific. and rigid, aren't they? Yep. The acting is horrid, but the writing must be just as bad. So I had a lot of fun, um, including but not limited to... DC opening a Maserati door for me to get into uh, and getting on a helicopter here at Crown Casino and flying across to the Grand Prix. Um, pretty cool. Not having to do the driver pleb thing. That's which not bad. I always That's a pretty baller kind of thing to have It done. was epic. Yes. Um, and the crew were awesome. The guy I was with was awesome too. And I had a lot of fun. But one of the things that got interested, because that was then the start of the season, um, for the Oscar Grand Prix is that I then suddenly became invested because here I yes. am, I've got a selfie, I'll, fly, I'll edit my own episode, I'll flash in a, a selfie with me and Max Verstappen here. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm actually now connected to these drivers. Yeah. Whereas I've beforehand I, you know, it was a dis- at a distance and I didn't live in Melbourne. I lived in, I grew up in Sydney and Perth. So motorsport was via supercars and yep. that was it. Bathurst was kind of the biggest thing. Um, and then growing up in Perth is kind of like West Coast Eagles or, or the Dockers, and then Sydney. There's obviously NRL, which I wasn't interested in. So I think it kind of motorsport was always there for me because Dad loved it, and Dad, uh, my dad's a little bit older, and he had gone to like the OG, like Reams Grand Prix wow. kind of thing. Like yeah. he's talking about like Jackie Stewart and Jack Brabham <sighs> and all these kinds of stuff. Like our Legends T-shirt at the top. Like he's that's where he is. Yeah, and I'm further down. I think it's yeah. quite an interesting like progression. Yeah. So falling back into like watching for me, I wouldn't say I fell back in love with it in 2017, but I certainly watched it a lot. Yep. Um, and sort of 2018, then I was like, okay, this is a bit of a vibe. Dr. Won some races in both 17 and 18. And I approached Campy because he and I kind of knew each other. Like, as, as you said in your episode, um, the one before this one, we didn't really 
like the three of us weren't mates together. Mm. We sort of accidentally stumbled across what is a All really good yeah. relationship on mic at least. We hate each other off mic. We never <laughs> we never talked to each other. That's not like we had a top gr- gear. we had a great beer the other day. <laughs> uh, yes, top gear. But it was I felt like I would go out looking for content and I wouldn't find what an Australian opinion for me was. Yeah. Now that's not to say there was an Australian podcast, Box and Neutrals, who I speak about a lot on this show, who are friends of the show. Um, I love those two guys. I think they're great people, but they're very. Michael is an, is the constant. He is actually a consummate professional. Yeah, Camby talks about it, but he Michael actually is. is. The- um, and that's the reason why I invited him to do the Extreme Podcast with me because he's just so professional. But uh, and Rob James is the digital manager for Motorsport Australia, so he is a very busy boy and very focused on you know not saying anything too controversial because of his work. So I felt like there was a gap in the market for a real opinion about Formula One the, as a whole mm-hmm. and as drivers. And one of the things that I wanted to do was talk about everyone. Yep. And I'm pretty sure from my first episode all the way to now, we do the team-by-team team analysis yep. because no one else was doing it. So I saw that as the gap in the market. And, you know, I put on the tin of the podcast, like I think we, I said it was Aussie banter. Um, Daniel Ricardo bias. And huge Daniel Ricardo bias. Yep. And big opinions, Aussie Banter and Daniel Ricardo Bias were the three things that I put on the podcast for, yep. for two years. And and we were true to that. Yeah. We still we loved him and he was performing with I mean, that was Renault his first year. And yeah. And we saw him flail and then succeed in that car. And then in twenty twenty he really had a good time. Mm-hmm. So that was the reason why, because there was a gap in the market for Danny Rick safe space content yeah. where, you know, Checkered Flag or Boxer Neutrals or the official podcast and it's interesting in your episode in the one before the chat before, which is by the magic of recording only minutes ago for us, but for you guys a week apart, uh, talking about, you know, Danny Rick was the character and Mark Webber wasn't yep. as outgoing. Interestingly, in Beyond the Grid's first season where there was less advertising, um, <laughs> Tom, I think Mark was like one of the first couple of episodes And he said, I don't understand why drivers have as much connection with the audience now as Mm. they do because I didn't like that. I liked having a bit of mystique. Yep. I think Daniel's to a point similar in that, you know, there is some mystique about Daniel, but when you see him, what you see is what you get. Yep. I mean, I know people who know him and he is who he is when he is around. There is no character. It's like Campy's like Campy. He Sometimes like mid twenty twenty, he kind of put on a little bit of character, but yeah. he is who he is. He is a very lovable, very funny, very engaging human being, much yep. like you are as well. And great opinions and very well formed sentences now for him. Yeah. Um. Uh, and similarly, Freya is as well. You know, she's incredibly intelligent, has great opinions, and loves banter and loves a bit of a laugh. So, I think, you know, that that previous generation with Mark has handed over to the DR generation and all of us on this podcast are the same age as DR, give or take a year yeah. or two yep. or three, but similar mindset. So I think it was one of those things where I was like, well, I think we can do this content better. And I know that there are people out there who want to hear more F1 podcasting that is more general. So yeah, we're Daniel Ricardo bias, but if you want to listen to a podcast talking about uh, Lance Stroll, then we still talk about him. Well, sometimes mm. we'll call him a squid, but pre- in the first couple of years, we were like, oh, it's his one in seven races that he yeah. actually does very well. Yep. So, yeah, I think that was one of the things that maybe want to start it. Yeah, and I think that's something that is still unique that we will still talk about each of the drivers. Quite often you'll find that they just gloss over, right, and pick the headlines and talk about a couple of key points, uh, and that's something that we do that's really unique. Um can you recall your first uh, F1 race that you went to? Was the same one with you? Yeah. I'd never been to a Formula One race before. Yeah. Because I didn't grow up in Melbourne. It, coming down, I didn't have any real reason to come down here. Yeah. I think my godparents or my godmother lived here and that was it. So the only time I, before I moved to Melbourne in tw- at the end of 2014, the only time I'd been here prior to that was with work. Yep. Um, to, to visit the advertising agency that supported the work that I was doing in Canberra at the time. So 
I didn't really know the Mornington Peninsula. And so I, I came down and drove around and was like gobsmacked by how beautiful it was. Yeah. Um, but if you had said to me like, where is the Oz Grand Prix circuit? I couldn't really tell you. I'd be like, well, Melbourne, but I don't, don't exactly know where. know where. So the, which sounds ridiculous. Like, yes, it's Albert Park, but as someone who spends very confusing time in Sydney trying to figure out where I am at the best times and I grew up there, yep. <laughs> it sort of it confuses you for the rest of the world. So, yeah, I think it, uh, that was the first one because I was here at Access and I also didn't want to go by myself. Yeah. And so one of the things that I didn't really mention before, but one of the things that I am a big fan of why I started the podcast or why we started the podcast was that by myself and my own friendship group, I loved Formula One. I had others who loved MotoGP. Uh, my best mate, Alistair, loves MotoGP. And when we were uh, at the Defence Force Academy together, we would watch GP and F1, you know, with each other. But he would obviously be more interested in that and I would be more interested in... <laughs> The F1 side of things. And you kind of just like went along with it to keep each other Yeah, company. because I, I thought Jorge Lorenzo was a dickhead. And when he <laughs> cel- was celebrating in 11 and 12, I was like, he just looked like a dickhead. And I, don't know, I can't be bothered watching that sport anymore. Um, and that's what happened. So now that he's gone, I think the sport is much better. Although now that the doctor's gone, I'm not sure how the sport's really going to survive. Yeah. But that's an interesting... Uh, anyway, the viewership is way down as a result. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that, that trying to build a community where me and someone else on a different friendship group could connect over Formula One yep. was a vibe. It's like if you would go into a party and there's people there you don't know and, and somehow you got talking to someone else about Formula One, mm. suddenly you're like, I've got a new friend. There's a party going on. Who cares? I'm talking about Formula One with my mate, my new mate. Yeah. Yep. And this is pre-Drive to Survive. So mm. the awareness factor was very, very slim. And like I think we can point to a few factors that was it was hard to watch and access you didn't have the exposure. There wasn't a lot to read about. There wasn't a lot to watch. It was you had to work hard to be an F one fan early on before Drive to Survive. It was almost like uncool as well. Would you say? Like, do you think, absolutely? Do you think that's changed? Do you think yeah. Drive? Yeah. The the way that Formula One has been presented now, I don't think Formula One itself has changed in terms of the drama, the controversy, the safety, the fear factor. Mm. I just think. The way the narrative is being presented to us is is a lot easier to consume. Yeah. So, to be honest, I'm not sure it would have worked at any other time in history. This drive to survive way. Yeah, that's an interesting proposition. Because the Netflix, well, box to box films, which is a production company in the UK. Yep. A, they're very well connected into the Formula One paddock already. So I think they pitched to. F1 and then Netflix, I think they asked F1, like, you know, initially, would, would this be a good idea? Would you allow us to have access? And they're mm. like, yep. And then they then pitched Netflix and that's how it got off the ground. I think if it wasn't for the combination of their access with the paddock and some of the reporters, so like Will Bucks and Jenny Gale, for example, yep. are good friends with the people who run that that production company, some of the drivers and, and the camera crew and the, you know, producers and everyone else who, who had already been around. Yep. If it was like a fresh team who had just come in, mm. you wouldn't get, I don't think, the in season one, I don't think you would get Daniel being as loose as he was. Yep. I don't think you would get the honesty and some of that raw passion and emotion as we did. Yeah. And so because A, it was that, but also the follow-up season launched literally just before COVID hit. And so I think in a lot of the feeds of Netflix around the world, then Drive to Survive was still there because they had a budget that spent and they still needed to get some return on that. So people had something else to binge. Yeah. And I think there's all this combination of factors together that has, has made this massive wave, bigger than they were ever expecting. Yeah. And I think scary to be in that business now to try and figure out how you have longevity in that space because the answer is you don't. Yeah. So it's about sifting through people who weren't really going to be long-term fans. They enjoyed it for a little bit and maybe they watch five-minute highlights or watch the news or, or, you know, follow F1 on Instagram for the good driver content. But they're never going to follow through probably the way that we do and a way that a lot of our fans and listeners uh, will do now as a result of being introduced by Drive to Survive. Maybe they were that with AFL or the EPL or NBA or whatever else and they've just found that that sort of, oh, I get to watch this Mm. 
story of Daniel Ricciardo unfolds before my eyes in dramatic sense. Yeah. I think it's an interesting parallel because obviously we were interested in Formula One separate of Drive to Survive. It just we we predated just. <laughs> Luckily, we can say still going to take it. We can claim that. <laughs> but I think a parallel for me is like Welcome to Wrexham. I don't know if you've seen it. No, uh, on Disney, but it is so. It's Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds. Ah, cool. Buy oh, a Welsh. Yeah. Oh, I bloody want to watch that. You should. They buy a the Welsh King soccer team. The King was there the other day. Excellent. But so I am. It's the like third oldest sports club in the world, or something. The oldest stadium, the oldest soccer stadium in the world. Ah, oh, so cool. So it's really interesting because that I am the the newcomer to like drive to survive. Yes. To the Wrexham Football Club in the history, and I only have the view of like what I've seen there. But I now have followed them on social media. I'm not watching every game. I'm not doing all these things, but I'm participating in this kind of arm's length, interested mm. from an entertainment narrative point of view, but I'm not a, a Wrexham fan, say. Mm. So it's interesting because I think there is probably a lot of that community for Drive to Survive, which is I'm here for the storylines and what is happening in the next season and the next yep. episodes, but I don't know if we've actually converted uh, – Two Formula One fans uh, or just Drive to Survive fans. How do you think the F1 community has taken the Drive to Survive newcomers? That's something I think like mm. we've been mulling around. I know myself, uh, the hipster that I probably am and I'll admit to, like we we both like. There's some indoor plants here. So yeah. <laughs> but we were like, I have a record player. I like good yes. music. Uh, yep. We like excellent food, coffee, wine, things like that. We have more unique tastes that we would say from the mainstream. Uh, so newcomers are often seen as like Ugh, jumping on a thing that, mm. uh, and I don't want to like it anymore. How do how do you think that the newcomers have been received and how are they taken from the, the original F1 community? Look, I love the newcomers because without the newcomers, we wouldn't have the investment and the ideas like sprint races and the want to try and make this sport a better sporting spectacle yep. and more entertaining I think to put yourself, if you've been a fan of the sport for longer than the Drive to Survive has been out, if you think that you're, as a result, better, mm-hmm. a, a better fan than Drive to Survive, you can put yourself in the bin because that's the kind of crappy attitude I think that just, yeah. yeah, I think just destroys good communities. And I don't believe that we've got that on Lakeside Drive anyway. And I'm sure plenty of you listening or watching have friends who are like that with some sports and, and and maybe that's you. And and if that is, I would just say that there is a there is something to say about wanting to go back to V8s and V10s and go mm-hmm. back to 17 or 16 or 12 races a year. But the reality is it's not going to happen. Um, it's fine if you want to complain about Vegas, yep. but no one's forcing you to watch it. No. And I think, you know, that suits a demographic mm. we won't be able to afford to go to a lot like a lot of us regular fans i think tara and freya was talking about this um a couple of weeks ago on their episode that it's not accessible yeah for a reason and i think it's very easy to forget that formula one is a business as well so you know the shareholders want to return yeah we want entertainment the drivers want to be safe but also want to enjoy themselves uh they don't i mean there's a lot of silly decision making that still goes on on track and sometimes behind the scenes. And I think there's a lot of, you know, do as I say, not as I do in terms yeah. of belief with with the, the, a lot of the missions that they've got. But, yeah, I think the Drive to Survive fan base has energised this sport to a point where, well, you know, we released a couple of weeks before it came out um, and it, I think our podcast has sort of ridden a wave in, in early on, maybe not necessarily yeah. now, but early on with a lot of our US listeners because they saw Daniel Ricciardo as this legend yep. and went, I want to go find some audio content that talks about him. Mm-hmm. And keyword search, you know, good SEO, James. Good work, James. Daniel Ricciardo in the in the um, show description and people started listening and going, oh, yeah, cool, I get it. And because we didn't heavily lean into technical facts. Yes. Firstly, I don't know enough about that stuff. I am interested. I just don't know enough. That's a campy thing. And secondly... I don't think many of us are either, and not so not to the constant, but like no reading, just like I don't know the technical regulations. Cappy said the other day, or was it Cappy or someone else? It if you want to know, advice, it's just like go I'll just download go read, and read. Go the read the technical regulations. Man. No, <laughs> that's your job. You do that. Yes, I'm not doing that for you. So I think I think it's changed the sport for the better because there is more attention now. You can go down the street 
and here's here's actually the, the biggest difference. So uh, I have a beautiful blue heel across Kelpie called Kenny Rogers. Um, he's a great uh, rescue dog, and uh, I will walk him down to the dog park or walk around the block, whatever else. And every not every time, I would say probably out of a, a normal a seven day week, maybe two days a week, I see someone wearing a Danny Rick hat. Yep. Now, never before ever did I say any, like if I'm seeing Red Bull merch, it's V8 Supercars. Yes. It's not, it's Red Bull Ampol, yeah, it's yeah. not, or Caltex, it's not Red Bull racing from a Formula One point of view. So it's interesting that I'm starting to see more of that now, like the merch you've got on. Yep. DR's own line, McLaren mm-hmm. or Red Bull hats or Renault hats. I was on yeah. a tram the other day and someone down the far end was wearing a Danny Rick Renault hat and someone closer to me was wearing a McLaren hat. Yeah. You know, and I was like, this is, it's just a shift, I think. And yep. And if that's what Drive to Survive has done, then I genuinely welcome it because it not only is it great for the sport, but it's creating more opportunities, it's creating more jobs, it's creating space for us as a podcast, for yep. example, to grow into wanting to be relevant and for people wanting to put their money where their mouth is to support us to do cool content. For sure. And I think we were all newcomers at some point yeah. to the sport. Uh, and I think what we should do is welcome the community that is yep. incoming and hopefully this podcast is a way that people can engage and be brought along for the journey and care more about it than just watching an episodic kind of documentary series. Yeah, that's right. And they can find another layer of like, oh, there's a stickiness here that I want to know more than just the glossy kind of narrative documentary drama kind of type thing. But I want to dive deeper into the yeah. what actually happened or I want to see live what's happening because that's – back to that Wrexham thing is like, I'm looking, I'm like, how are they doing this year? Are they going to yeah. get promoted? Like yeah. I, I'm invested now. And I think that's what's happened is maybe initially it was very just entertainment and interesting to watch, but now people are like, but where's Danny Rick? Yeah. What's happening? And I think it's going to be really interesting to see in this upcoming season what's happening um, and kind of how they navigate that and what mm. future seasons will look like now. Is Daniel going to take over and run the whole thing this year? We just don't know what yeah. kind of opportunities are ahead of him. Yeah. And I think it's for for me as well, looking at the bigger picture of what this podcast is and, and where everyone else sits. I mean, we're part of a bigger picture. Uh, I know we started to meet a certain market, and at least in my mind, in my marketing mind, that's where I thought we would go. But it's a lot bigger than that now, yep. which is terrifyingly amazing in so many ways. Um, and one of the things that, I still don't like is you listen to podcasts and I'm talking like the top five downloaded Formula One podcasts and there's no relationship between the presenters. Mm. There's no, I don't feel like there's passion. Like it's clearly a paid podcast and that's fine. And maybe they're journalists and, you know, some written journalists are terrible at speaking. That's why they're not radio presenters. And so when they're put in a position of presenting a podcast, it's very hard to listen to. Yes. It's very, very dry. They might be brilliant and they might know everything, but there's oh. no spark, yeah. right? So with us, it's one of the things I love doing in person is, you know, mm. and getting into our space with uh, with Zeke and being a person. That really towards the latter half of this year was yeah. very energizing because we get the banter back, we get the flow back. And I think one of the things that I really love doing and hopefully when we really love an episode, you as the listener can can feel that because our energy is up, the way that we talk is different, you yeah. know, the flow is a lot better. I have to do less editing uh, and That's everyone cool. is happy about that. <laughs> yes. So, so I'm a big fan of as a trio what we've got going on. Um, but I'm also a big fan of when Freya steps in yeah. um, in person when she's here to be able to do some stuff. Of course, I think we reviewed one of the Grand Prix um, here. That was fun, wasn't it? It was great. No, legitimately great. And we had to keep Freya at distance because she was flying in and had to fly out soon. We're like, COVID, Back when COVID like, testing stay over thing. there, don't yeah, get yeah, near yeah. us. It was, yeah. But it was still great. And I think totally. also when we do stuff, uh, because we've done that with her in person, then obviously the remote stuff is a lot easier Yeah, as much as we would all prefer her to be in person. Yeah. But the relationship thing, I think, and, and we spoke about it on your episode, with Top Gear. Top Gear was a big thing for me too. Um, Adva sucked. Like it it was <laughs> it was really up and down for me. Yep. I and I I sought often solace in Top Gear. Yep. So I remember my hard drive and I I had all of the seasons of Top Gear and obviously they were still being added at that point. And yep. I I would just get to the end and then start at the beginning Same. again. 
And I think it was it was that realization that and and you talk to people who aren't car people who would watch it oh, because it's a it's a relationship. It transcended, didn't it? It's an entertainment show yeah. more so than it was a car show. And so I think when you came along in that third episode of Oz F1 and I realized how good it was the vibe that three of us had, I was like, okay, this is actually something special here, which then takes us to a next level. So we're already doing something where we're talking about every driver on the grid. Mm-hmm. We're also reaching the Danny Rick fan base. And because we're riding this wave of Drive to Survive, because yep. we'd already had a couple of episodes out by the time it was released, that it meant that people had somewhere to go. Yeah. But not only somewhere to go, but to join us at the ground floor of the journey. Yep. Like that's a big thing. When yeah. you start with someone, and I know plenty of you who have been listening um, have listened from the very beginning. Sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss as well. <laughs> I don't know how you've done it and hats <laughs> off to you. But you've seen how much we've grown. If you're brand new here, yeah. I mean, probably don't, but you can go all the way back to the very beginning to hear how we've changed. But the relationship, I think, you listen to it and it's a development of the relationship between the three of us. Yeah. And I, I love it. Like, I genuinely love it. When we have a good episode, I'm buzzing for hours afterwards. Yeah, it is. It's really exciting. Uh, and I think that's exciting. So you, you quickly mentioned your time at Defence. Mm. Um, so that was straight after school into Defence? No. What did you do before Defence? I uh, I did not want to go to university at all. I was apps. I had zero interest. Yep. Um, and uh, I wanted to join the Air Force as a logistics officer, but I didn't want to go to university. I had a maths, I had a science, I had all of that. Like, How I, are you going to be in Well, the Air logistics officer, not a, not a pilot. Like, I'm yeah, happy to, still. you know, this, this many blankets and st- <laughs> stack boxes. Um, but I, I took a year off, graduated school in 2007, took a year off, um, and, uh, and then I – some point during the year, I can't really remember what happened, but um, I think some friends of mine were from the um, from school had gone to Adfa, and I think I'd gone down for something to Canberra to hang out. And uh, look, it seemed good enough. Did like anyway? Went through the entry process. Wanted to do Air Force stuff, Defence Force recruiting. Who I later worked for said, uh, "Oh no, but look, join the Army as a general service officer, and you can transfer later." That's a lie. If any, if you listen. <laughs> And and and, def- and you're trying to join the Defence Force and they say, oh, don't worry about it. They're all trying to meet quotas and targets. So I yep, joined the Defence Force and, uh, yeah, joined Army, tried to transfer and that was not really a thing. And uh, it's an option. It is certainly an option, but it's not as easy as it's they made it out to be. So anyway, I did a couple of years of that and uh, it, in my full, very coordinated state in uh, my third year, I fell in a wombat hole. Oh, on an exercise and bugged my ankle. So I was uh, shortly thereafter departed um, the Defence Force and uh, medically discharged, which suits me fine. So it sounds like a few things happened at your time there. A, your love for Canberra. And I your do con- love Canberra. <laughs> and your continued love for Air Force. That was something. I, th- I remember being at the Grand Prix with you. Oh, yeah. And you commenting on flyovers and yeah. exactly what this person was doing. And yep. it sounds like you managed to enter that space and had some kind of knowledge beyond just loving aircraft. Yeah. I mean, my dad was Royal Air Force and flew some really cool planes like the Hawker Hunter and the Vulcan, which is this massive ass V bomber at Cold War era. Um, and that sort of really dictated a lot of why I love we talk about the fly pass for example is I absolutely do yep. that um when I after I left army I I worked for a little bit of defense was recruiting as I said uh, one of those roles was air force marketing for a little bit so I yeah played with some planes and got to shoot them with and that was interesting because that was the first time I had proper access to like creative people yeah so like a director of production and a crew and you know he's a storyboard and he's what we're doing for the advert so um, we shot women in Air Force advert. Um, I shot the Army diversity campaign um, and a few other reserve campaigns and stuff. Some of my stuff still floating around the place, which is really cool. That's cool. Some of the radio ads as well. But um, yeah, it was it was interesting because I suddenly went, "Oh, that's really bloody cool!" And so yeah. I kind of got the job because being an advert it doesn't really matter what service you are. You just consume knowledge about everyone. But I, I vividly remember like you talking about how far away the person in the the aircraft was to time the flyover. And that's something you're oh, very yes, time critical. on target. I am. So, time on target. Is that something that you learned in the, those marketing days? And 
for those ads and things you were filming? Uh, yeah, well, it was in army time. So you talk yeah. about like time on target for a whole range of things. Um, and it's not necessarily always the pilot's – well, it's not the pilot's fault because he's – he or she are waiting for information from the ground. Yep. So I remember when we were standing there, there was a dude in cams just off, like as yes, about and you pointed sixty meters away with out, a big yeah. ass radio. Um, so he's also generally a pilot or uh-huh. she, and they will be like, "All right, national anthem is about to start," and yep. the national anthem is a, generally a set period of time. Yep. And so you're supposed to have like end of national anthem, like high note, and then boom, fly yeah, over, time you know, to perfection, whatever. Yeah, that's what we want. Um, slightly easier to do with helicopters because you can kind of get them to hover and then go. Yep. Fighter jets a little a little harder Bit to do. Bit of a run-up. Um, but when you get it on point, that's when you get a 10 out of 10 from James for a flyover. Yeah, and you... Time on target. Oof. We'll get back to my chat, funnily enough, in just a moment. But I want to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor for the final time for this year, for this episode, NordVPN. Now, if you've listened to the podcast for the last couple of months, you'll know that NordVPN, not only are they our first sponsor, they are an incredibly good product that I use often. I've spoken about them whilst I've been overseas, quite honestly utilising the VPN itself whilst recording an episode, using them across my laptop, my iPad, my iPhone. It has been incredibly helpful to ensure that I know that I am completely protected whilst online. And one of the great things about NordVPN is it's not just about being a VPN. There's so many more things as well. And you can get all of that for a special deal with two years, heavily discounted and four months free at nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive. So again, a massive thank you to NordVPN. And thank you if you've in fact taken up that offer for helping to support this podcast. All right. Let's get back to the chat. Uh, have you ever dived into the flying or learning to fly of yeah. an aircraft? Yep. Uh, I have flown both powered and glider. Um, and I love flying gliders. It scares the living shit out of me every time <laughs> I get towed up because it is a terrifying thought that, I mean, the, the, the capsule is, you know, there's nothing in front of you. Yeah. You're in a powered aircraft, there's a bit of distance and then a propeller generally. Or yeah, it's just, it's, just, yeah. it's just you and, and a thin thin frame. So it it teaches an amazing sense of calm and control and aerodynamics, what's actually happening, the yeah. learning physics, the, the physical way. I, I always remember, you know, people would talk about glide slope and would try and work it out. They'd be like, oh, I'm here at here and so that means that I've got a glide slope of this. Yeah. I would use the TLAR approach, which is that looks about right. <clears throat> Just punch, punch it in, and if I need to adjust, then I'll adjust. I'll fix it and fix it, uh, and which is how my brain works. So I'll do it on the day. That's right. <laughs> so I love it. So my first flight actually was a Goodwood, uh, which is no way. Yeah. So I think I was fourteen. Yeah, it must have been fourteen. Did powered flight there. Um, and Dad made this big thing of it because, of course, he was a pilot. So yeah, um, both my parents being from the UK. It's a big thing and Goodwood is kind of the part of the world where they're from. And, yeah, it was stunning to not only do that but to be where the Rolls-Royce factory was. Yeah, wow. Um, obviously, Festival of Speed and the Revival and everything else. So, yeah, first flight there in a in a Piper PA-28. Um, was it Tomahawk anyway? One of those two aircraft for uh, uh, Goodwood and did a little bit of flying here. It's very expensive. Yes. Did some flying out of Tyab when I moved down initially yeah. and the Peninsula is beautiful from the air. Yeah. But I think I realized that it wasn't going to be a career for me. Yes. Um, and so, and Cammy's talking about this as well. Like, it's cool to do and it's very engaging and a great hobby, but you got to have a lot of cash and you got to let it have time. Oh, yeah. And I don't really have either of those things. So, <laughs> so it's fun to do. And at some point in the future, I'd love to get my private pilot's license. Yep. Um, but, you know, Commercial aircraft exists for a reason. Yeah. And then I'll hopefully get rich enough to fly private. Now it's never going to happen. <laughs> That'd be nice. I'm always just going to go commercial. When you were flying over the peninsula, is that when you were noticing all of the lovely wineries and the surrounds? Yeah. So I uh, I left, um, I chased my now wife down to the peninsula 
and I left my. I was living in Brisbane at the time, so I, I moved from Canberra to Brisbane. In case you were wondering, James has lived in a lot of places. I, I do love a good move. Uh, I don't <laughs> love it. I just, I just detest, detest it rather immensely. But I am very good at moving. You'd want to be, uh, yeah, for the amount of times that I've done it. But yeah, I'd, I'd left Brisbane. I left a, a full time job there to come down to to Mornington, and after army, like I did a Bachelor of Arts in History and Politics, so that's not applicable for anything, for any kind of it's work. Made up. It is made up. Bachelor my housemate now knows he's just finished her arts degree. It's useless. Have you finished your arts degree, Kiara? Sorry for your loss. No worries. <laughs> Enjoy. See, this is one of the good things about ad for is you don't have a hex debt. Um, now Kiara's got a hex debt and nothing to show for it. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> uh, but that's that is an interesting. It was an interesting time because I left. I was like, I don't know what to do, and I and I had a friend who worked at DFR, so that's how I got that job. I think I did work experience a little bit, so I. I'd left army, was doing work experiencing there, and I, I actually was um, working at a paintball field. Wow. So I was managing a paintball field on the weekends. Yep. So, and I loved that. I mean, and I got to a point where I, because if you ever fight a paintball gun, it sucks. Like there's no real good way of judging it, but I finally figured out like the gun that I would constantly use and like yeah. the arc of where the paint would go. Um, and I'd stop wearing suits. Like I'd obviously wear, you have to wear safety gear and yeah. stuff, but it was like hot Canberra summer. So I'd stop wearing the full suits. I'd wear a t-shirt and whatever and pants and boots. But like if anyone thinks about shooting me, like I'll find you and I'll just annihilate your mask. Cause yeah. I like welts are one thing, but tasting oh. paint, that is disgusting. And yep. I would find, and people, some people try, like there would maybe be one dickhead at like a Bucks yeah, party. Yeah, if you said that, that's probably egging a few people on. Yeah, and then it's like, hey, man, why don't you go stand 30, minute, 30 meters over there and the rest of us will stand Just here and we'll fire at you. <laughs> don't be a dickhead. Uh, but I, so I did that. So I would work seven days a week um, for a while and, and then finally got offered a job at DFR. Uh, and, and I was very grateful for that. Still did painful for a little bit because I really enjoyed it and stopped because it was becoming too much. But it was a interesting time because a lot of people who were around me were like had marketing degrees or had advertising degrees. And one of the things that I've realized, and there are some people who disagree with me on this and some journalists as well, is that I don't actually think you need a degree in anything that you actually want to do. It is about perseverance, determination, and networking. Yep. You know, there is no such thing as good luck it's all prior preparation and perfect timing yeah honestly james is one day gonna be brilliant and have to write a biography and it's gonna be <laughs> called gonna write it for me. <laughs> i was a bottle and a half wine deep and i dm'd someone <laughs> and this happened because that is happened, it's happened many, twice now. <laughs> many times it's across nice. this journey and, yep. and it's netted great results it would seem so mm. i think that is one piece of advice i've taken from you is just just ask figure out the most I don't know, important person's email or DM you can find and just ask, just get in. Yeah. Because a lot of people just feel like there's a barrier. Yeah. Um, and you're a very confident person and you've just managed to navigate that into opportunity. Bullshit baffles brains. <laughs> and and that's never been truer in this instance. And look, I mean, I, I had done a bit of community radio in that year I took off between school and joining the Defence Force, did some community radio. But that was really the only presenting experience I had mm -hmm. in this space. Yep. I've done singing, I've done musical theatre and acting and stuff. So, yes, when you hear my voice in other people's microphones, unfortunately I can't switch oh, off my no. projection. In my, It just will not do I've tried. Uh, it will not happen in my brain. But all of these things sort of combining together and a love of a sport that I've watched on and off pretty much for my entire life. Yep has landed this podcast, I think, in a really good position. Yeah, and I think like a love of the mechanical and all, all these things really have, have tied together. And I I mean, I edit, Zeke has edited a couple of things for us this year, but I personally edit everything mm. that happens. Um, yep. You've done some video as well in the past, which has been great. And sometimes, you know, that's, that's the lie. You have edited one or two episodes. Yeah, but it wasn't great. But it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, I think it was in-person in stuff. And, and one of the things that I... Um, and hopefully, look, if I do write a, bi a biography or maybe next year if, I mean, you guys know I've gone overseas a lot. I've chased a lot this year, a lot of work for next year. Yeah, I'd love to tell you the uh, the stakes, my my iron, my fire, or rather is where they are. Yeah. Um, I have heaps of them. I have heaps of potentials. I have, <laughs> And I've got some really great contacts. And, and one of the things as well is, you know, I would get to a position or I'd get to a meeting 
And I'd be sitting there in this meeting room thinking, I started this podcast in my front room in Frankston. Yeah. And now I'm sitting in this office. I can't actually believe it. Well, Hopefully I'll get be able to tell that's, you. That that's something thing. I wanted to touch on. So I hope we can get into it, but you've been presenting the Extreme E podcast. Yes. Which is incredible. And we've talked about it a few times and Campy and I try and talk about it as much as we can to help promote you doing great things. <laughs> I appreciate that. You reluctantly <laughs> try to keep it on the download, but that's pretty incredible. So you reached out to Extreme E and you've you've worked uh, with Lamb uh, and you've both been doing an incredible job and you've brought Freya in as well. Yeah. Um, and you managed to get over to London to go to one of the races. Can you talk a bit about the extreme experience, yeah. meeting some people. It sounds like you've made some incredible contacts. I, yeah, I love the people. I love the sport. Yeah. Um, it, talking about getting in on the ground level, that was what happened. So, yes, I remember watching the first round of Extreme E, which was last year, 2021. Yeah. And the only reason I knew about it is because back then, not anymore, but I followed Zach Brown on Instagram. <laughs> And he and um, the Andretti team went in together with um, Andretti United to put a team together. Yep. And Timmy Hansen and Katie Munnings were the drivers. And anyway, so I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll watch it. Motorsport on a weekend that didn't have motorsport on. Yep. Um, the racing was okay. There was a lot of dust and, you know. It was so dusty that first one, wasn't it? And I guess, you know, first time out, first event, who knows what's going to bloody happen. So fair enough. But. I went, all right, well, that's fine. And, but I, I sort of became a little bit more invested because they had Seb Loeb, Carlos Sainz Senior. Some incredible people. Lewis Hamilton had a team. Nico Rosberg had a team. Jensen Button had a team. Jensen Button was driving yep. back then. Uh, and the whole thing was that we want to change the narrative of sport, motorsport specifically. It's very skewed heavily towards the male dominated environment, yep. which. We want to undo. So we're creating teams where there are male and female drivers. And what that did was open up opportunities for a lot of these female drivers who are either bloody fast, yeah. like ridiculously quick, be incredibly lovely to be able to get into the world stage. Molly Taylor is, is an example. And anyway, so I watched that and... I'd had six beers. Um, <laughs> I'd had a whole six pack by myself and it was like, I don't know, like midnight or something. And I went to go, right, well, I'll, when's the next race? Oh, it's like bloody two months away. Oh, I'll well, go consume some podcast content because, you know, I do a podcast and yeah, back then I, I want to hear more, I want to learn more. Yep. So I went looking, didn't exist. So I went onto the Extreme A website, found the email address that I could find, which I think was media at Extreme A and drunkenly sent an email along the lines of, um, Extreme needs a podcast and I'll do it for you. <laughs> Basically. I love I th- it. I think I think that was the headline, like the the subject. <laughs> and then in the thing, it was, you know, like, this is what I do. This is this is everything that happens. And this yeah. is why Formula One does it so well. I think Extreme E was would do it quite well this too. It's an and, opportunity. And I was listening to Beyond the Grid a lot. Um, and I thought, yeah, it's good, but I would do things slightly differently mm. and slightly more relaxed. And so, yeah. Uh, anyway, I had a uh had an email back from them and they were like, yeah, okay, send us a pitch. I was like, oh, well, shit. Whoops, that worked. <laughs> and so prior to that, prior to that email coming back, the week before, I was living in Sydney, the week before I had interviewed with you, yep. Michael Laminato yep. and Michael Italiano. In the same night. In the same evening. Yeah. Obviously, Italiano on was in the UK <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Lamo came down in person. Legend. Which great. Absolute yes. legend. And I thought back then, well, I need some legitimacy to this podcast proposal here. Mm-hmm. Lamo had been doing Boxer Neutrals. He'd done ABC Grandstand with Boxer Neutrals for a while. Yep. Um, F1 Strategy Report, he was doing the, oh, no, not at that point, the Oz Grand Prix podcast came out of COVID. So that was shortly after yep. um, I came down. But I said, uh, hey, man, do you want to jump on? Because I remember one of the questions that I think you asked him was like, would you ever say no to anything? He's like, no, I'd say yes to every opportunity I get yeah. podcast-wise. I was like, well, I've got his number now. <laughs> Aha. I will send <laughs> yeah. him, or at least email address, I will send him an email and say, hey, man, um, I've got this thing. Do you want to have a chat? So he replied. He said, yes, we had a chat. Sent through a proposal. Hooked up a Zoom meeting with the UK guys and uh, and I went to sort of start saying, so this is why I think in the podcast, anyway, Ali Russell, the chief marketing officer was like, James, hang on, hang on, hang on, stop, stop, stop. And I was like, oh, shit. Damn. What have I done? What have I said already? already. I don't know. I've already decided I want to do it. How much is it going to cost? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I it's my first day. Far. I hadn't thought that far ahead. 
So I was like, oh, I don't know, Ali. Um, we'll get back to you on a pricing and we'll set it out anyway. And, and um, we got uh, put into the digital team or under the, the digital team and Tini Oliver, who is now, I can say, a friend who was digital manager of Extreming back then. Absolute awesome dude and very, very talented in that space. Um, he, Michael and I sort of helped set it up and, and the first interview we did was with Molly Taylor yep. um, and she lives down here in Melbourne. So yeah, perfect. Uh, I hopped on a plane and Lamo got in a car and we kind of met down Bayside Way and yep. uh, and we interviewed her in her front room Yep. and then she shortly flew out to the second race. And look, Extremely is one of those things. It The racing now is phenomenal. It took yeah. a long time to get there. Um, but I was very proud to have gone from Lakeside Drive, Front Room, Frankston to Official Motorsport Podcast. Yep. Um, and I'm sitting with, you know, like just thinking about like hanging out with people who would post something on their Instagram. Yep. And their verified account and they've got 150,000 followers. Yep. You know, to me that just kind of mind-blowing. Who were the pinch-me kind of people you got to talk to or interview? Just everyone. Yeah. Like ridiculous. So we would go to – so one of the things that, that happens, Michael and I travelled uh, for the last race of last year, which mm-hmm. was in December. In fact, this time last year. Yeah. What is the date? It Like legitimately right today now. last year. That's right. Yeah, because I remember you um, came in just before Christmas when you came home. Yeah. Yep. Came back on the on Christmas Eve and spent Christmas Day in a line, a COVID testing line that <laughs> – Took Sorry, me four Claire. and a half hours. Oh, I was not in a good mood. <laughs> um, and yeah, we went over and, and of course COVID was a big thing back then. A lot of this, the digital team and the social team had COVID. So they weren't there. So we were asked to do some of their TikTok live stuff and their Instagram live stuff and we did. So in that, spoke to Nick Rosberg, Jensen Button, um, or interviewed rather, Christina Gutierrez, a uh, whole bunch of other people. And it was funny because obviously we were there to do podcasting Um and what I found really interesting is like we were standing on the sort of viewing platform where the command center was, which is next to the start and finish line or the next to the switch zones. Um, and we were recording the opening for it yeah. to camera and had a couple of the team PR standing off to one side who we'd kind of spoken to a little bit and gone, you know, his introduction, blah, 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 whatever. And anyway, did it. And so, of course, the camera goes live and I'm like, G'day, guys, we're here at the south coast of the United Kingdom, blah, 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 blah. Just Michael James does amazing James stuff. Yeah. We do amazing stuff and then cut. And I remember Tini was like, holy shit, that was – and the PR's like, did you just do that in one take? Like, yeah. Yeah, mate. And, and it kind of blew their minds. It kind of blew my mind a little bit too because Lama and I had only done the in, – so in person we'd done – our interview on, on Lakeside Drive and oh. Molly's interview, the rest of it had been remote. All remote, yeah. And then the first bit of content we do when we get there- Last race of the season. Is last race of the season to camera work. Yeah. And we're having to chat to some of these drivers in person. Yeah. And it just didn't phase any of us. Yeah. We were like, all right, let's just do it. So I think it was like his level of professionalism and probably my excitement, but- I would say natural ability to, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm Definitely. very outgoing and whatever else, but my natural ability to think about the story arc of something and then do it. So for example, I don't really prepare a lot for interviews. I like feeling it. Yep. Freya, for example, or Michael, for example, loves yeah. notes. And, and I think one way or the other isn't necessarily the best way of going about it, but combining it, you get into a really yeah. good rhythm. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I think it works so well for the extreme A. So it was fun to do that in person, but just to be like, go to the catering tent and sit down and you'd have like, I remember at one point I was sitting with, um, oh, what some of the, some of the crew, I was sitting with some of the extreme A crew and then behind me was Seb Loeb and the X44 team. And I could see diagonally over from me was like Carlos Sainz senior having lunch. Yeah, Molly legend. walks past like, g'day mate, how are you going? Yeah, good. Yeah. How are you? Sarah Price who would interviewed as well. And, Katie Munnings, and that's the other thing. Like, we turned up and we'd interviewed a couple of the drivers already yep. remotely. Yeah. And we get in person. They're like, oh, g'day, James. How's it going? Well, not g'day. We're like the equivalent. The equivalent. Where they came from. <laughs> um, Ola or whatever else. And so, yeah, we did that. And um, I remember, you know, we I interviewed Christine GZ. Yeah. In person. We both did. Uh, and then two months later, I'm in Andorra with her. Yeah. She's doing ice driving and I'm hanging out. Not really sure what I'm doing there. Yeah. That was like a spirit of the moment. If- Invitation, hey, James, you want to come hang out? Okay. Yeah. Where am well, I going? I'd, I'd realized that at the end of last year, um, I was working a corporate job again. I had it. I just could not deal with 
people and an incompetent public service chain of command um, and I wanted to do this properly. And I kind of already knew that, but I, I needed, I think, to go back to real world. One last commas. time. Just to remind myself. And so <laughs> I was all in at that point in December. I was like, no, I'm going to do this for real. Yeah. So I networked heavily whilst I was there. Um, and one of the things that I said is that I would I would say yes to any opportunity, motorsport opportunity that I had in 2022. Yep. And GZ was the first. She messaged me and she's like, hey, like I'm doing some ice driving. Do you want to come? Yeah. I was like, when? <laughs> Next weekend? <laughs> Uh, like this coming weekend, I think. Uh, oh no, next weekend. It was a Friday. She messaged me, and I think I said yes on the Sunday. Flew out on the Monday. No, flew out on the Wednesday. Flew out on the Tuesday. Arrived Wednesday night in Barcelona. Got out to Andorra. It's like ten p.m. Walk into the the restaurant. They're all yeah. there at, and here's Australian mind James. They're like, oh, I'm like, ah, oh, they would have finished dinner, everything else. No, yeah. incorrect, of course, because they're Spanish. Yep. Just starting. Yes. So, <laughs> so I then built on for a couple more hours and, and met some incredible people. And it's one of the, I think that was a great starting point for my year of, you know, I've done many trips to the UK this year and to overseas. How many flights are you up to? 37? Uh, 37 flights yeah. for this year. That's it now. There's no more. I mean, I don't have that many weeks left, but 37 flights. The majority of them long haul and the majority of them in business class because- on status, uh, not status, Qantas um, points and yep. reward seats. I've managed to figure that out. Um, so if anyone wants any advice on how to fly business class, I mean, it's <laughs> easy by itself. Starting to get family and everyone else involved is difficult to find reward seats. But to do that, and so it was a massive pinching moment because not only am I traveling to to try and chase work, yep. I'm very supported at home and to do that, and I'm flying business class to get there. It ju- This year just hasn't felt real yeah and the meetings that i've had and the people i've spoken to and even like getting to mclaren so the mtc and i'm sitting there that was like a how am i here (laughs) yeah yeah insane and i my my favorite like uh anecdote that you've had is when interviewing tanner uh and walking through Oh. The main lobby and the maniac is just touching Everything. things that you're not allowed to touch. You're like, well, if he is, I'm going to touch stuff. So one of the so. things that I think is interesting is watching Top Gear. Yep. You love it, right? We always kind of thought US Top Gear was like, no, nah, it's a bit average. I kind of like pushed through and enjoyed it, to be honest. But that was in early days. Yes. The, line, the lineup changed and the last lineup that they had, including Tanner, I remember watching, I think, all of the seasons. Mm. And so not only am I sitting in the McLaren Technology Center. Um, and it was that trip I had I was trying to figure out season two of the podcast. We weren't really sure whether or not it was going to happen. Yep. So I kind of did it just in case it did. So there was there was also an opportunity a potential rather that both the interviews with Emma Gilmore and Tanner Faust would never have, have hit aired. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whatever, you get paid to do it. So I went and did it. Uh, not that I, I would have done it for free, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't not, tell them, don't tell them that. But uh, <laughs> it was interesting going to like you get the call and then I had to I had to hire gear. So I had to hire a roadcaster over there and microphones and all that kind of stuff and be like, oh, I've got to figure to look it out. Professional. Yeah, I need yeah. to look professional, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and getting on the train and heading down there and, and it was – surreal because it was the first time that I had interviewed anyone by myself. Yep. Um, not only just remotely, but like then in person had that element on it as well. Yeah. So I couldn't just like refer to notes. I wanted to be engaged with these, with these people. And it was at the MTC. So, you know, I arrived and, and it's a, it's a maze of a place. Really Pretty to epic get into. building to drive phenomenal, up on, right? Yeah. Phenomenal. And I've had the pleasure of, of going in the front and the back entrance. The first time was the back entrance. The second time was the front entrance, which was yeah. stunning um, to drive around that lake. But it it was, yeah, a, a pretty like pinchy moment because that was like, here's Daniel's car. Yeah. Touch it. <laughs> <laughs> here's Senna's car. Touch it. Here's Hakkinen's car. Raikkonen's car. Touch it. Prost's yeah. car. You know, touching <laughs> Berger's car. Touching all of these things. Yeah. Hamilton. Schum- uh, sorry, Hamilton. Um, Button. Alonso's cars in a row. Wild. Like, you know, the Vodafone livery ones. Yeah. And mind blowing. And then, um, or we did the we did the interviews first, and and Emma and I, because Emma's from New Zealand, um, and in an extreme, she was driving for Lotte last year as like a as a 
backup driver, reserve driver when Jamie Chadwick was out driving W Series. So she did two events last year and, um, yeah, I mean, we sort of started to connect a little bit over it because she would listen to the podcast and then she connected with me on Instagram and she's like, hey, it's really good. Um, and here's Emma who, incredibly fast driver, but, you know, owns a Suzuki dealership in Dunedin, is a small business owner. Yeah. Hustles hard, you know, drives when she can because she loves it, but has a real job. Um, and then she gets announced to be, you know, McLaren's, McLaren's first female driver. And it just, I think that for me, it's probably my favourite moment this year yep. of that announcement or the end of last year, the announcement and how everything came about because first female drive for McLaren, but also to be a Kiwi as well and yeah. a Kiwi originating team, I think yep. is a bit mind blowing. And she's had some great success this year as well, which has been great. They've been announced for, for next year as well as a pairing, but to sit with Tanner and this is a thing and I don't like blowing my own trauma, but to sit with him at the end of the interview was like, Dude, that was like the best interview that I've had in a very long time. I've been doing this shit a long time. Someone who's been exposed to a lot of media and is in media himself. Yeah. Yeah. Who is professionally trained. Yeah. Um, he's like, you know, I loved how you hit all these great questions, but you kept, kept it relaxed and everything else. Yeah. And it's a style that I wanted to always do, but I never thought I could actually do Some it. confirmation of it being yeah. working and being awesome is great, right? I sat there many times through that chat going, what am I doing? What the fuck How do I do this? <laughs> How do I ask this question? Where do I take this thing? But I think I, after I got out of my own head and sort of let it flow, it was great. So, yeah, and, and we took a selfie on the promenade looking down um, to the boulevard and uh, he was like, can I take you for lunch? And Bearing in mind, this is the day before the entire McLaren team livery launch, right? Like, you're pretty busy, right? He's like, no, I think Emma and I have got free afternoon. Have we got free schedule now? She's like, yeah, let's go for lunch. Great. So, so then, good. so Emma's like, oh, I'll drive you into town. No worries. So you head into Woking. And so I've done like, and again, I, I can't tell you how hilarious it is. And everyone I've spoke, spoken to extremely knows the story about me being drunk and sending the email. But to go from Lakeside <laughs> Drive, Frankston front room. I mean, they don't understand the Frankston reference, but anyone in it's like humble. It's not a flashy suburb, yeah. and uh, from there to sitting with Tanner Faust, who I watched on Top Gear, who then you know, and I think if you've listened to the interview, I'll be like, oh, you know, what's one of the things? Like, oh, I did, um, I did uh, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Like all of that car is me, and like the garage scene, they wanted to do CGI. But I was like, no, I reckon we can do it in person. So that 350Z coming up the thing, that's yeah. him driving it. Yeah. And in that moment when he told me that, I was like, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I love that. So good. And so I just had to like calm myself a little bit. It's like, keep it in. Just relax. <laughs> keep a lid on a gym. Be pro. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it's interesting. So I, I, that's been a great opportunity. And I think what it's done though is – when I'm going to say when, not if, when we get access to people like Oscar, yeah, and Daniel yep. and VB and yes. Plen- and which the three Australian drivers, and then everyone yes. else, yes, it, I actually now have a a better sense of just being true to myself because I see a lot of journalists. They try very hard. They write all the questions out and they get deep into the data and the information. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the person. You watching this on the other side of this lens or listening to this on the other side of this microphone, you and I are the same. Mm. I want content in the same way that you want it. Probably the reason why you either listening and have been listening for a long time or listening because you're brand new and maybe you've, you've made it this far into this hour-long podcast already is that the way that I put content together is the way that I know my listeners want Yep, because I am you. Yes. And, you know, and I don't ever... You know, it's not for clickbait. It's not for headline because we don't respond or report rather to anyone. Mm-hmm. We're allowed to do that. So yep. hopefully it gets to a point where Lakeside Drive has full media access and I get to go into one of those press conferences and, yeah, take notes and do everything else. But I personally would love to ask questions that it, it's not just about like, hey, Daniel, where are you driving next year? Yeah. Something a little bit sort of left of centre. I think you know? the, the prism of being a listener is an excellent way to view it. And I think that's something that we've all done is like, what would I want to listen to? What do, what do I want from a podcast? Mm. And that's such a good way to do it rather than 
I feel like sometimes the journalists come in with an agenda or a question that they have an answer for and they just want confirmation of something they've already written. Yeah. Cool. Can I continue? Yeah. yeah I've already written That's it. a can good point. Can you just confirm what I've said so yeah. I can add a quote next to and it? And they're getting paid. So their editor totally. or whoever else wants them to do that. Yes. But we're not that. No. And I think we're trying to find the human side of things, less mm. so the more, I don't know, corporate thing I, I would rather find a layer and something interesting that 350z anecdote is incredible and something that you wouldn't have got if you were just doing a formulaic interview about extreme e and so off-road driving that's right you wouldn't have got to that space i think those like detours and things are a very interesting way of getting to know and i think people who have listened to that interview will be like i feel like i know tanner faust now he's yeah much more much much different than I would have assumed yep. or from just listening to other things or watching him on Top Gear, it's humanized and given another aspect to his personality. One of the things that I want to achieve for the listener is I want to, I want it to feel like we're at a bar or a pub and obviously you can't take part in the conversation because you're listening yep. or you're watching, but I'd love for you to feel like you're at the table over or the booth next to us. So if Tommy T and I are having a drink somewhere in some bar in South Melbourne, I'd love for you to feel like you're at the booth over listening to the ridiculousness of the band or the conversation that we're having so that you feel part of it. Because Mm. podcasts, like I am hyper aware all the time that this is one of the most intimate versions of communicating with people. If you've listened to this podcast for years, you will feel like you are friends with us. Yeah. And that's bloody mind-blowingly fantastic and we love and appreciate all of you. We genuinely do because I feel that way when I listen to other podcasts. It is just the way that things happen. I speak to other podcasters and and they feel the same when they meet some of their listeners or or engage with them. And I take that really seriously because I don't don't want to be untrue to us Mm -hmm. because I know who you are and I know who Campy is, you know, and obviously we don't necessarily want you guys to know everything about us. We can protect Camby from himself. From himself, uh, <laughs> mainly from him. But the the what you get from us from a lakeside drive point of view is legit. Yeah. If you were sitting next to me on the couch, next to Tommy on the couch there, or if like your Kiara in the room, you have absolutely no interest in Stop Formula listening. 1 whatsoever, <laughs> then it, it you get to feel like it's you're part of a conversation, part yep. of a chat. And I think coming in with that mindset for all of my interviews is yep. really interesting and important because no one else does it like that because they're answering to someone else. And I'm lucky enough in that Extreme E, it's the series. So I'm not doing it for like Dirtfish or some other publication. I'm doing it for the series. The series know that that's how I do it because that's how I pitched it. And they were like, yes, that's what we want. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's why it works. And that's why I really enjoy it. And I think, again, like we were saying before, if I enjoy it and- and the guest enjoys it, then the listener's going to enjoy it too because it's yeah. just a natural occurrence. That flows on. Yeah, that's really interesting. We are going a long time, but that is great. I'm going to finish up with what are you excited for this next season? It doesn't have to necessarily be podcast related, but what are you excited for in this upcoming Formula One season? What's what's coming down the pike? I think for 2023, for well, I think for the podcasting sense and for the season sense, for me at the moment, in December, they're a little bit intertwined. I can't really see one differently from the other. I think we've had a lot of change and interpretation of what listeners and viewers want, what we want as well. I think we've finally reached a point where other people will start recognising how we operate and why we operate and probably identify that it's different from a lot of other podcasts out there. I would expect that considering the amount of work that I've done this year in flights and meetings and hustling. Yeah. Like I told a point this year that I am in the UK known in the motorsport world as the hardest hustling motorsport podcaster. That's really out nice there. to hear. Hey, So it's nice that other people have heard of what I'm doing because I love, and because I'm not a journalist, and I would say this, I'm not a journalist, you know, I'm an extension of a fan. You know, I'm an avatar of the listener. The People's Pundit, but sorry. People's Pundit, yes. Um, although that podcast is not active anymore. But we'll Get see it. if I need to do my own, then that's potentially a thing. So, but I think for, for 2023, I think for, for us, it's going to be better. With Daniel not in a race seat, I think we're sort of emotionally removed a little bit from mm. from the how hard it's been for him and for us to yep. watch. Tough season. Mm. So coming in with a, a fresh lens, a little bit of a better direction for Lakeside Drive, 
again, I mean, we're hinting all of these big things. I You'll really know. want Just to relax. tell you. We'll tell you when it's time. But it's I'm excited because it's I think it's we've all worked hard to that. Yep. Um, and you know, I spent a lot of time editing, so it's nice to to have people in industry say you've got one of the best sounding podcasts out there. Regard, it's not just F1, just out there. Just in general, yeah. Um, which is awesome because I think that that shows that we've really reached a really good point. So 2023 is going to be exciting because we've got Oscar Piastri coming in. Yep. We get the next generation of Australian fans as well. Potentially we get to do some cool stuff. Yep. We're all in Melbourne yeah. for a full season. Stop moving around. Stop moving around. Every state and city. <laughs> so I think there'll be more content for Lakeside Drive. Extreme E will still be great. There's potentially some other stuff that I'm working on personally outside of both of those things that I maybe get to, to share. Maybe not this this coming year, but maybe next year, depending on on when things actually eventuate. But yeah, I'm excited to to continue this journey. Yeah. With with a lot of you guys who have been listening from the beginning and for, for you if you've just started listening because there's a lot of content out there, a lot of video out there, a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of social media accounts. But I think we're on to a winner. You know, we are yeah. we're genuine to ourselves. We're authentic to each other. We get caught up on each other if we're not that. So I think it's going to be a really interesting and exciting year in 2023. It is, definitely. Awesome. It's been good to uh, learn a bit more about Jamie. He doesn't talk about himself in this much depth. He, he's uh, a very confident person, but it's nice to dive a bit deeper. And we haven't even cracked a lot of it. There's a lot of still unknowns that we'll say for another episode, I'm sure. I like this. Just because we're bloody an hour and 10 minutes in. Value the listener's time more, please, and stop waffling. You're right. Be more succinct. That's part one. Be more. Of <laughs> no, my story. <laughs> no, no, part two at some point in the next five years. In the future. But <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Uh, and we very much appreciate your time and choosing us as your preferred Formula One podcast. What a great way to end. So do you think that there's a potential Oscar to Audi eventually? No. I don't think so. Well, Oscar to Red Bull. Oscar to Red Bull. We need every, all Australian drivers need to drive for Red Bull at some point in their career. It's the rules. But we don't make the they rules are the here. Rules. That's, that is just <laughs> the facts. That's like, I don't know what to tell you. Death taxes driving for Red Bull. As an Australian F1 driver. <laughs> yes, that's the rules. <laughs>